Volume One of the Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, translated by Richard Burton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kalinda. The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, Section Ten. The Third Calendar's Tale. Know, O my lady, that I also am a king and the son of a king, and my name is Ajib, son of Kazib. When my father died, I succeeded him, and I ruled and did justice and dealt fairly by all my lieges. I delighted in sea trips, for my capital stood on the shore, before which the ocean stretched far and wide, and near at hand were many great islands with sconces and garrisons in the midst of the main. My fleet numbered fifty merchantmen, and as many yachts for pleasance, and an hundred and fifty sail ready fitted for holy war with the unbelievers. It fortuned that I had a mind to enjoy myself on the islands aforesaid, so I took ship with my people in ten keel, and carrying with me a month's fiddle, I set out on a twenty days' voyage. But one night a head-wind struck us, and the sea rose against us with huge waves, and the billows sorely buffeted us, and a dense darkness settled round us. We gave ourselves up for lost. And I said, Whoso endangereth his days, e'en and he escape, deserveth no praise." Then we prayed to Allah and besought him. But the storm-blasts ceased not to blow against us, nor the surges to strike us, till morning broke, when the gale fell, and the seas sank to mirrory stillness, and the sun shone upon us kindly clear. Presently we made an island where we landed, and cooked somewhat of food, and ate heartily, and took our rest for a couple of days. Then we set out again, and sailed other twenty days, the seas broadening and the land shrinking. Presently the current ran counter to us, and we found ourselves in strange waters, where the captain had lost his reckoning, and was wholly bewildered in this sea. So said we to the lookout man, Get thee to the masthead, and keep thine eyes open. He swarmed up the mast, and looked out, and cried aloud, O oh, rice! I espy to starboard something dark, very like a fish, floating on the face of the sea, and to larboard there was a loom in the midst of the main, now black and now bright. When the captain heard the lookout's words, he dashed his turban on the deck, and plucked out his beard, and beat his face, saying, "'Good news, indeed! We be all dead men! Not one of us can be saved!' And he fell to weeping, and all of us wept for his weeping, and also for our lives. And I said, "'O oh, captain, tell us what it is the lookout saw.' "'O oh, my prince,' answered he, "'know that we lost our course in the night of the storm, which was followed on the morrow by a two days' calm, during which we made no way.' and we have gone astray eleven days' reckoning from that night, with narrow wind to bring us back to our true course. To-morrow, by the end of the day, we shall come to a mountain of black stone, high as the magnet mountain. For thither the currents carry us willy-nilly. As soon as we are under its lee, the ship's sides will open, and every nail and plank will fly out and cleave fast to the mountain, for that almighty Allah hath gifted the lodestone with a mysterious virtue and a love for iron, by reason whereof all which is iron traveleth towards it. And on this mountain is much iron, how much none knoweth save the Most High, from the many vessels which have been lost there since the days of yore. The bright spot upon its summit is a dome of yellow Latin, from Andalusia, vaulted upon ten columns, and on its crown is a horseman who rideth a horse of brass, and holdeth in hand a lance of Latin, and there hangeth on his bosom a tablet of lead, graven with names and talismans. And he presently added, and, O king, none destroyeth folk save the rider on that steed, nor will the egromancy be dispelled till he fall from his horse. 
Then, O oh my lady, the captain wept with exceeding weeping, and we all made sure of death-doom, and each and every one of us farewelled his friend, and charged him with his last will and testament, in case he might be saved. We slept not that night, and in the morning we found ourselves much nearer the Lodestone Mountain, whither the waters crave us, with a violent send. When the ships were close under its lee, they opened, and the nails flew out, and all the iron in them sought the magnet mountain, and clove to it like a network, so that by the end of the day we were all struggling in the waves round about the mountain. Some of us were saved, but more were drowned, and even those who had escaped knew not one another. So stupefied were they by the beating of the billows and the raving of the winds. As for me, O oh my lady, Allah, be his name exalted, preserved my life that I might suffer whatso he willed to me of hardship, misfortune, and calamity. For I scrambled upon a plank from one of the ships, and the wind and waters threw it at the feet of the mountain. There I found a practicable path leading by steps, carven out of the rock to the summit, and I called on the name of Allah Almighty. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of the day, and ceased to say her permitted say. When it was the fifteenth night, she continued, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that the third calendar said to the lady, the rest of the party sitting fast bound, and the slaves standing with swords drawn over their heads. And after calling on the names of Almighty Allah, and passionately beseeching him, I breasted the ascent, clinging to the steps and notches hewn in the stone, and mounted little by little. And the Lord stilled the wind, and aided me in the ascent, so that I succeeded in reaching the summit. There I found no resting-place save the dome, which I entered, joying with exceeding joy at my escape, and made the wuzu ablution, and prayed a two-bow prayer, a thanksgiving to God for my preservation. Then I fell asleep under the dome, and heard in my dream a mysterious voice saying, O son of Kazib, when thou wakest from thy sleep, dig under thy feet, and thou shalt find a bow of brass and three leaden arrows, inscribed with talismans and characts. Take the bow, and shoot the arrows at the horsemen on the dome-top, and free mankind from this sore calamity. When thou hast shot him, he shall fall into the sea, and the horse will also drop at thy feet then bury it in the place of the bow. This done, the mane will swell and rise till it is level with the mountain head, and there will appear on it a skiff carrying a man of Latin, other than he thou shalt have shot, holding in his hand a pair of paddles. He will come to thee, and do thou embark with him, but beware of saying Bismillah, or of otherwise naming Allah Almighty. He will row thee for a space of ten days, till he bring thee to certain islands called the Islands of Safety, and thence thou shalt easily reach a port, and find those who will convey thee to thy native land, and all this shall be fulfilled to thee, so thou call not on the name of Allah. Then I started up from my sleep in joy and gladness, and, hastening to do the bidding of the mysterious voice, found the bow and arrows, and shot at the horseman, and tumbled him into the main, whilst the horse dropped at my feet, so I took it and buried it. Presently the sea surged up, and rose till it reached the top of the mountain. Nor had I long to wait, ere I saw a skiff in the offing coming towards me. I gave thanks to Allah. And when the skiff came up to me, I saw therein a man of brass, with a tablet of lead on his breast, inscribed with talismans and characts, and I embarked without uttering a word. The boatman rowed on with me through the first day, and the second, and the third, in all ten whole days, till I caught sight of the islands of safety, whereat I joyed with exceeding joy, and for stress of gladness claimed, Allah, Allah, in the name of Allah, there is no God but the God, and Allah is Almighty. Thereupon the skiff forthwith upset, and cast me upon the sea. Then it righted, and sank deep into the depths. 
Now I am a fair swimmer, so I swam the whole day till nightfall, when my forearms and shoulders were numbed with fatigue, and I felt like to die. So I testified to my faith, expecting naught but death. The sea was still surging under the violence of the winds, and presently there came a billow like a hillock, and bearing me up high in air, threw me with a long cast on dry land, that his will might be fulfilled. I crawled up the beach, and doffing my raiment, wrung it out to dry, and spread it in the sunshine. Then I lay me down and slept the whole night. As soon as it was day, I donned my clothes, and rose to look whither I should walk. Presently I came to a thicket of low trees, and making a cast round it, found that the spot whereon I stood was an islet, a mere holm, girt on all sides by the ocean, whereupon I said to myself, Whatso freeth me from one great calamity casteth me into a greater. But while I was pondering my case, and longing for death, behold, I saw afar off a ship making for the island, so I clomb a tree, and hid myself among the branches. Presently the ship anchored, and landed ten slaves, blackamoors, bearing iron hoes and baskets, who walked on till they reached the middle of the island. Here they dug deep into the ground, until they uncovered a plate of metal which they lifted, thereby opening a trap-door. After this they returned to the ship, and thence brought bread and flour, honey and fruits, clarified butter, leather bottles containing liquors and many household stuffs, also furniture, table-service, and mirrors, rugs, carpets, and in fact all needed to furnish a dwelling, and they kept going to and fro, and descending by the trap-door, till they had transported into the dwelling all that was in the ship. After this the slaves again went on board, and brought back with them garments as rich as may be, and in the midst of them came an old, old man, of whom very little was left, for time had dealt hardly and harshly with him, and all that remained of him was a bone, wrapped in a rag of blue stuff, through which the winds whistled west and east, as saith the poet of him, Time gars me tremble, ah, how sore the bulk, while time in pride of strength cloth ever stalk. Time was, I walked, nor ever felt tired. Now am I tired, albe I never walk. And the shake, held by the hand, a youth cast in beauty's mould, all elegance and perfect grace, so fair that his comeliness deserved to be proverbial. For he was as a green bough, or the tender young of the roe, ravishing every heart with his loveliness, and subduing every soul with his coquetry and amorous ways. It was of him the poet spake when he said, Beauty they brought with him to make compare, but beauty hung her head in shame and care. Quoth they, O beauty, hast thou seen his like? And beauty cried, His like not anywhere. They stinted not their going, O my lady, till all went down by the trap-door, and did not reappear for an hour, or rather more, at the end of which time the slaves and the old man came up without the youth, and replacing the iron plate, and carefully closing the door-slab as it was before they returned to the ship and made sail and were lost to my sight when they turned away to depart i came down from the tree and going to the place i had seen them fill up scraped off and removed the earth and in patience possessed my soul till i cleared the whole of it away then appeared the trap-door which was of wood in shape and size like a millstone and when i lifted it up it disclosed a winding staircase of stone at this I marvelled, and descending the steps till I reached the last, found a fair hall spread with various kinds of carpets and silk stuffs, wherein a youth was sitting upon a raised couch and leaning back on a round cushion with a fan in his hand, and nosegays and posies of sweet-scented herbs and flowers before him. But he was alone, and not a soul near him in the great vault. When he saw me he turned pale, but I saluted him courteously, and said, Set thy mind at ease, and calm thy fears. No harm shall come near thee. I am a man— 
like thyself, and the son of a king to boot, whom the decrees of destiny have sent to bear thee company and cheer thee in thy loneliness. But now tell me, what is thy story, and what causeth thee to dwell thus in solitude under the ground? When he was assured that I was of his kind and no genie, he rejoiced, and his fine colour returned. And making me draw near to him, he said, O oh, my brother, my story is a strange story, and tis this. My father is a merchant jeweller possessed of great wealth, who hath white and black slaves travelling and trading on his account in ships and on camels, and trafficking with the most distant cities. But he was not blessed with a child, not even one. Now on a certain night he dreamed a dream that he should be favoured with a son who would be short-lived. So the morning dawned on my father, bringing him woe and weeping. On the following night my mother conceived, and my father noted down the date of her becoming pregnant. Time being fulfilled, she bare me, whereat my father rejoiced, and made banquets, and called together the neighbours, and fed the fakirs and the poor, for that he had been blessed with issue near the end of his days. Then he assembled the astrologers and astronomers who knew the places of the planets, and the wizards and wise ones of the time, and men learned in horoscopes and nativities, and they drew out my birth scheme, and said to my father, Thy son shall live to fifteen years, but in his fifteenth there is a sinister aspect, and he safely tied it over he shall attain a great age, and the cause that threateneth him with death is this. In the sea of peril standeth the mountain magnetite, on whose summit is a horseman of yellow latin, seated on a horse also of brass, and bearing on his breast a tablet of lead. Fifty days after this rider shall fall from his steed, thy son will die, and his slayer will be he who shoots down the horseman, a prince named Ajib, son of King Kazib. My father grieved with exceeding grief to hear these words, but reared me in tenderest fashion and educated me excellently well until my fifteenth year was told. Ten days ago news came to him that the horseman had fallen into the sea, and he who shot him down was named Ajib, son of King Kazib. My father thereupon whipped bitter tears at the need of parting with me, and became like one possessed of a genie. However, being in mortal fear for me, he built me this place under the earth, and stocking it with all required for the few days still remaining, he brought me hither in a ship, and left me here. Ten are already past, and when the forty shall have gone by without danger to me, he will come and take me away, for he hath done all this only in fear of Prince Ajib. Such, then, is my story, and the cause of my loneliness. When I heard this history, I marvelled, and said in my mind, I am the Prince Ajib who hath done all this, but as Allah is with me I will surely not slay him. So said I to him, O oh, my lord, far from thee be this hurt and harm, and then, please Allah, thou shalt not suffer cark nor care, nor aught disquietude, for I will tarry with thee, and serve thee as a servant, and then wend my ways. And after having borne thee company during the forty days, I will go with thee to thy home, where thou shalt give me an escort of some of thy mamelukes, with whom I may journey back to my own city, and the Almighty shall requite thee for me. He was glad to hear these words, when I rose and lighted a large wax candle, and trimmed the ramps and the three lanterns, and I set on meat and drink and sweetmeats. We ate and drank, and sat talking over various matters till the greater part of the night was gone, when he lay down to rest, and I covered him up, and went to sleep myself. Next morning I arose, and warmed a little water, and then lifted him gently so as to awake him, and brought him in the warm water, wherewith he washed his face, and said to me, Heaven requite thee for me with every blessing, O youth. By Allah, if I get quit of this danger, and am saved from him whose name is Ajib bin Kazib, I will make my father reward thee, and send thee home healthy and wealthy, and if I die, then my blessing be upon thee. 
I answered, May the day never dawn on which evil shall betide thee, and may Allah make my last day before thy last day. Then I set before him somewhat of food, and we ate, and I got ready perfumes for fumigating the hall, wherewith he was pleased. Moreover, I made him a mancala cloth, and we played and ate sweetmeats, and we played again, and took our pleasure till nightfall, when I rose and lighted the lamps, and set before him somewhat to eat, and sat telling him stories till the hours of darkness were far spent. Then he lay down to rest, and I covered him up and rested also. And thus I continued to do, O my lady, for days and nights, and affection for him took root in my heart, and my sorrow was eased, and I said to myself, The astrologers lied when they predicted that he should be slain by Ajib bin Khazib. By Allah I will not slay him. I ceased not ministering to him, and conversing, and carousing with him, and telling him all manner of tales for thirty-nine days. On the fortieth night the youth rejoiced, and said, O my brother Alhamdo, Lila, praise be to Allah, who hath preserved me from death, and this is by thy blessing and the blessing of thy coming to me, and I pray God that he restore thee to thy native land. But now, O my brother, I would thou warm me some water for the guzzle ablution, and do thou kindly bathe me and change my clothes. I replied, With love and gladness, and I heated water in plenty, and carrying it into him, washed his body all over the washing of health, with meal of lupins, and rubbed him well, and changed his clothes, and spread him a high bed whereon he lay down to rest, being drowsy after bathing. Then he said, O my brother, cut me up a watermelon, and sweeten it with a little sugar candy. So I went to the storeroom, and bringing out a fine watermelon I found there, set it on a platter, and laid it before him, saying, O my master, hast thou not a knife? Here it is, answered he, over my head upon the high shelf. So I got up in haste, and taking the knife drew it from its sheath, but my foot slipped in stepping down, and I fell heavily upon the youth holding in my hand the knife, which hastened to fulfil what had been written on the day that decided the destinies of man, and buried itself, as if planted, in the youth's heart. He died on the instant. When I saw that he was slain, and knew that I had slain him, Mogre myself, I cried out with an exceeding loud and bitter cry, and beat my face, and rent my raiment, and said, Verily we be Allah's, and unto him we be returning, O Muslims. O folk fain of Allah, there remained for this youth but one day of the forty dangerous days which the astrologers and the learned had foretold for him, and the predestined death of this beautiful one was to be at my hand. Would heaven I had not tried to cut the watermelon! What dire misfortune is this I must bear, fife or loathe! What a disaster! What an affliction! O oh, Allah mine, I implore thy pardon, and declare to thee my innocence of his death. But what God willeth, let that come to pass. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of the day, and ceased to say her permitted say. When it was the sixteenth night, she said, It hath reached me, O suspicious king, that Ajib thus continued his tale to the lady. When I was certified that I had slain him, I arose, and ascending the stairs, replaced the trap-door, and covered it with the earth as before. Then I looked out seawards, and saw the ship cleaving the waters, and making for the island, wherefore I was afeard, and said, The moment they come and see the youth done to death, they will know t'was I who slew him, and will slay me without respite. So I climbed up into a high tree, and concealed myself among its leaves, and hardly had I done so, when the ship anchored, and the slaves landed with the ancient man, the youth's father and made direct for the place, and when they removed the earth they were surprised to see it soft. Then they raised the trap-door, and went down, and found the youth lying at full length, clothed in fair new garments with a face beaming after the bath, and the knife deep in his heart. 
At the sight they shrieked and wept and beat their faces, loudly cursing the murderer, whilst a swoon came over the sheikh, so that the slaves deemed him dead, unable to survive his son. At last they wrapped the slain youth in his clothes, and carried him up, and laid him on the ground, covering him with a shroud of silk. Whilst they were making for the ship, the old man revived, and gazing on his son, who was stretched out, fell on the ground, and strewed dust over his head, and smote his face, and plucked out his beard, and his weeping redoubled as he thought of his murdered son, and he swooned away once more. After a while a slave went and fetched a strip of silk, whereupon they laid the old man and sat down at his head. All this took place, and I was on the tree above them, watching everything that came to pass, and my heart became hoary before my head waxed grey, for the hard lot which was mine, and for the distress and anguish I had undergone, and I fell to reciting— how many a joy by Allah's will hath fled, with flight escaping sight of wisest head! How many a sadness shall begin the day, yet grow right gladsome ere the day is sped! How many a wheel trips on the heels of ill, causing the mourner's heart with joy to thrill! But the old man, O oh my lady, ceased not from his swoon till near sunset, when he came to himself, and looking upon his dead son, he recalled what had happened, and how what he had dreaded had come to pass and he beat his face and head, and recited these couplets. Racked is my heart by parting from my friends, and two rills ever from my eyelids flow. With them went forth my hopes, ah, well away, what shift remaineth me to say or do? Would I had never looked upon their sight, what shift, fair sirs, when paths e'er strainer grow? What charm shall calm my pangs when this wise burn, longings of love which in my vitals glow? Would I had trod with them the road of death, ne'er had befell us twain this parting blow. Allah, I pray the truthful show me wrath, and mix our lives, nor part them evermore. How blessed were we as death one roof we dwelt, conjoined in joys nor wrecking aught of woe, till fortune shot us with the severance shaft. Ah, who shall patient bear such parting throw? And dart of death struck down amid the tribe, the age's pearl that morn saw brightest show. I cried the while his case took speech, and said, Would heaven, my son, death mote his doom for slow, which be the readiest road with thee to meet, my son, for whom I would my soul bestow? If sun I call him no, the sun-cloth set. If moon I call him, wane the moons, ah, no! O sad mischance of thee, O doom of days, thy place none other love shall ever know. Thy sire distracted sees thee, but despairs, by wit or wisdom fate to overthrow. Some evil eye this day hath cast its spell, and foul befall him as it foul befell. Then he sobbed a single sob, and his soul fled his flesh. The slaves shrieked aloud, Alas, our Lord! and showered dust on their heads, and redoubled their weeping and wailing. Presently they carried their dead master to the ship side by side with his dead son, and having transported all the stuff from the dwelling to the vessel, set sail, and disappeared from mine eyes. I descended from the tree, and raising the trap-door, went down into the underground dwelling where everything reminded me of the youth, and I looked upon the poor remains of him and began repeating these verses. Their tracks I see, and pine with pain and pang, and on deserted hearths I weep and yearn, and him I pray who doomed them depart, some day vouchsafe the boon of safe return. Then, O oh my lady, I went up again by the trap-door, and every day I used to wander round about the island, and every night I returned to the underground hall. 
Thus I lived for a month, till at last, looking at the western side of the island, I observed that every day the tides ebbed, leaving shallow water for which the flow did not compensate, and by the end of the month the sea showed dry land in that direction. At this I rejoiced, making certain of my safety. So I arose, and fording what little was left of the water, got me to the mainland, where I fell in with great heaps of loose sand, in which even a camel's hoof would sink up to the knee. However, I emboldened my soul, and wading through the sand, behold, a fire shone from afar, burning with a brazing light. So I made for it, hoping haply to find succour, and broke out into these verses. Belike fortune may her bridle turn, and time bring wheel, although he's jealous height. Forward my hopes, and further all my needs, and past ills with present wheels requite. And when I drew near the fire aforesaid, lo, it was a palace with gates of copper burnished red, which when the rising sun shone thereon gleamed and glistened from afar, showing what had seemed to me a fire. I rejoiced in the sight, and sat down over against the gate, but I was hardly settled in my seat before there met me ten young men clothed in sumptuous gear, and all were blind of the left eye, which appeared as plucked out. They were accompanied by a shake, an old, old man, and much I marvelled at their appearance, and their all being blind of the same eye. When they saw me, they saluted me with the salam, and asked me of my case and my history, whereupon I related to them all what had befallen me, and what full measure of misfortune was mine. Marvelling at my tale, they took me to the mansion, where I saw ranged round the hall ten couches, each with its blue bedding and coverlet of blue stuff, and amiddlemost stood a smaller couch furnished like them with blue and nothing else. As we entered, each of the youths took his seat on his own couch, and the old man seated himself upon the smaller one in the middle, saying to me, O youth, sit thee down on the floor, and ask not of our case nor of the loss of our eyes. Presently he rose up and set before each young man some meat in a charger and drink in a large mazer, treating me in like manner. And after that they sat questioning me concerning my adventures and what had betided me, and I kept telling them my tale till the night was far spent. Then said the young man, O oh, Arshaykh, wilt not thou set before us our ordinary? The time is come. He replied, With love and gladness, and rose, and entering a closet, disappeared, but presently returned, bearing on his head ten trays, each covered with a strip of blue stuff. He set a tray before each youth, and lighting ten wax candles, he stuck one upon each tray, and drew off the covers, and lo, under them was naught but ashes, and powdered charcoal, and kettle soot. Then all the young men tucked up their sleeves to the elbows, and fell a-weeping and a-wailing, and then they blackened their faces, and smeared their clothes, and buffeted their brows, and beat their breasts, continually exclaiming, We were sitting at our ease, but our forwardness brought us unease. They ceased not to do this, till dawn drew nigh, when the old man rose and heated water for them, and they washed their faces, and donned other and clean clothes. Now when I saw this, O oh my lady, for very wonderment my senses left me, and my wits went wild, and heart and head were full of thought, till I forgot what had betided me, and I could not keep silence, feeling I fain must speak out and question them of these strangenesses. So I said to them, How come ye to do this, after we have been so open-hearted and frolicsome? Thanks be to Allah ye be all sound and sane, yet actions such as these befit none but madmen, or those possessed of an evil spirit." I conjure you by all that is dearest to you, why stint ye to tell me your history, and the cause of your losing your eyes, and your blackening your faces with ashes and soot? Hereupon they turned to me, and said, O oh, young man, hearken not to the youth-tide suggestion, and question us no questions. 
Then they slept, and I with them. And when they awoke, the old man brought us somewhat of food, and after we had eaten, and the plates and goblets had been removed, they sat conversing till nightfall, when the old man rose, and lit the wax candles and lamps, and set meat and drink before us. After we had eaten and drunken, we sat conversing and carousing in companionage till the noon of night, when they said to the old man, Bring us our ordinary, for the hour of sleep is at hand. So he rose, and brought them the trays of soot and ashes, and they did as they had done on the preceding night, nor more nor less. I abode with them after this fashion for the space of a month, during which time they used to blacken their faces with ashes every night, and to wash and change their raiment when the morn was young. And I but marvelled the more, and my scruples and curiosity increased to such a point that I had to forgo even food and drink. At last I lost command of myself, for my heart was aflame with fire unquenchable, and love unconcealable, and I said, O young man, will ye not relieve my trouble, and acquaint me with the reason of thus blackening your faces, and the meaning of your words? We were sitting at our ease, but our forwardness brought us unease. Quoth they, "'Twere better to keep these things secret.' Still I was bewildered by their doings, to the point of abstaining from eating and drinking, and at last, wholly losing patience, quoth I to them, "'There is no help for it. Ye must acquaint me with what is the reason of these doings.' They replied, we kept our secret only for thy good. To gratify thee will bring down evil upon thee, and thou wilt become a monocular, even as we are. I repeated, There is no help for it, and if ye will not, let me leave you and return to mine own people, and be at rest from seeing these things, for the proverb saith, Better ye bide, and I take my leave, for what eye sees not, heart shall never grieve. Thereupon they said to me, Remember, O youth, that should ill befall thee, we will not again harbour thee, nor suffer thee to abide amongst us and bringing a ram, they slaughtered it and skinned it. Lastly they gave me a knife, saying, Take this skin and stretch thyself upon it, and we will sew it around thee. Presently there shall come to thee a certain bird, Hight Ruch, that will catch thee up in his pounces, and tower high in air, and then set thee down on a mountain. When thou feelest he is no longer flying, rip open the pelt with this blade, and come out of it. The bird will be scared, and will fly away, and leave thee free." After this, fare for half a day, and the march will place thee at a palace wondrous fair to behold, towering high in the air, and builded of calange, line aloes and sandalwood, plated with red gold, and studded with all manner emeralds, and costly gems fit for seal-rings. Enter it, and thou shalt win to thy wish, for we have all entered that palace, and such is the cause of our losing our eyes, and of our blackening our faces. Were we now to tell thee our stories, it would take too long a time, for each and every of us lost his left eye by an adventure of his own. I rejoiced at their words, and they did with me as they said, and the bird Ruch bore me off and set me down on the mountain. Then I came out of the skin and walked on till I reached the palace. End of section 10 of The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night Recording by Kalinda in Raymond, New Hampshire, on November 18, 2007